The Lord be with you, everyone. And um, the response we're having to these webinars that are done from the dining room table uh, have been amazing. And many of you have reported that you you feel a more intimate, more personal. And I, I would say yes to that, that at this dining room table every week on a Thursday morning, I meet with my two assistants, Marshall and Andrew, and we, we sit here and we talk really of everything the Holy Spirit has revealed to us and how it has been implemented in our work in the San Antonio area. And so so I'm used to sitting here and talking of the things of God with people. And also when um, visiting pastors, it's here that we sit and we talk of the things of the gospel. And so for me to be sitting here now talking to you, I feel um, the intimacy of it. It's just you and I. And I really feel that. It's just you and I. And so with that in mind, I want to share what is in one respect a very simple message. And it's a message that actually I've talked about in almost every webinar. Because I want to talk about the question of what is the love of God? And that, as I say, if you're a regular viewer of our webinar or you're with us on the podcast, you've heard me talk about this over and over again. I have been meditating and asking Holy Spirit revelation concerning the love of God since around 1953. And some of you can't think that far back, but um, it was pressed upon me that you and I should just get together and talk about the love of God. And so really I'm not preaching, we're chatting, but I'm going to start with a text and not to preach on it, but somewhere to begin. It's in First John and chapter 3, and he, he writes. And of course John, everything he says in his epistles is concerning the love of God but he says here right in the middle of his uh, epistle first epistle behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him there's a lot in that verse. We could talk about it for a very long time. And it begins with the word behold. And behold is an old English word. We don't really use it anymore in English language. But it, it's, it's a very strong word. It means not just to look at, but it means an intentional setting of your eyes upon. Do you get that? It, it's... It's not just, all oh, look over there. It means, stop what you're doing. Rivet your attention upon this. Set your eyes upon it. Drink in what you see. Behold. And he is telling us to behold the love of God. And I don't know whether you have been there recently to stop everything. Close the door. And behold, rivet your attention under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit to see and grasp and understand the dimensions of the love of God. Even, and that's really what I'm talking about today, what is the love of God? Uh, and I, I do that because I meet so many people who very obviously by their conversation, do not know what the love of God is. They, they confuse the love of God with other kinds of love. But when we comprehend or when we grasp this love, we, we realize we enter into this. I don't know a better way of putting it because 
we understand the love of God is a dimension. Um, It's a dimension in which actually we all live and move and have our being. But uh, tragically, few people understand that. They're blind and deaf to the very dimension in which they live and move. Uh, And so to comprehend, to grasp this love of God means our eyes are opened and we wake up and we realize this dimension in which we live. I've also described it as an energy field, but I must emphasize it is an energy field of the most personal kind. When we say energy, you can think of impersonal. But this is, I mean, this isn't the universe. No, this is the person of the Holy Spirit And we live in the love of God as a dynamic energy field. I say that in those words because the love of God is not something you sit back in your chair and study and say, oh, jolly good, I know something now that I didn't know before. Uh, the, The love of God is an energy field likened to maybe a live electric wire and to just begin to touch this love to be, to begin to begin to realize this love brings us into contact with that which is ultimate life and brings to us a realization a touching um an inner movement of the love of god into the depths of our lives or you could say that the love of god is like an ocean And we're living down there at the bottom of the ocean like two fish in an ocean of love. And we can't turn either right or left or up or down without confronting the love that will not let us go. That's the love of God. And and so I'm not, I I don't want to share with you book truth. You know, it's not, you got your textbook, we're on page 200 and blah, blah, blah. No, this is, intimate and unless you realize i'm talking to you and talking of an intimate and most personal relationship that right at this moment is pressing upon you as he is pressing upon me and paul in the middle of his um explanation of this relationship he says the words he loved me and gave himself for me. And there you have it. He couldn't speak of it in the abstract. Do you understand what I mean? He couldn't talk about it. You know, that stuff you read when you go to a school of some time and, and, and you, you stay up all night and you study it and then you gave the right answer and they give you the pass mark and you got it. No, you didn't get it, you see. Because... You you just simply studied it. I don't want you. Don't don't do that with the love of God. It, look upon love of God as as you're studying. You're in the middle of it. He's loving you and he's giving himself for you and to you. Uh, I, I've used the illustration sometimes that it will be the same as if we are studying gravity. You know the. The fact we're being kept on this earth, held down by gravity. Well, it's interesting. You can talk about it, but gravity is actually holding the papers down on your desk while you're studying it. You say you just can't study it because you're in the middle of it and it's actually happening to you while you study it. Well, the love of God even more so. You can't study the love of God as an it. Because the love of God is happening to you right at this nanosecond. The love of God is around you, abounding in you, around you, under you, over you. And and so we are looking at the love of God while we realize we're actually connecting with the love of God. It's, It's not a piece of theory that I'm presenting to you. It's not as if I'm giving you a piece of information that you can store away under L. Um, No, I say it again. God's love is dynamic. It's like a live electric wire. And it's not a theory. As you begin to open yourself to it, 
you realize it's not even an it it's a the he it's it's the ultimate person of the father coming to you through the person of jesus god the son and in the same breath through the holy spirit who is god within you causing you to understand so the love of god well you see right at the beginning let me say this is not the word that is usually used for love i think most of you know that Uh, let me put it to you in a way we'll never forget behold what manner of love now first of all what manner um, that's a translation of a greek word that actually could we could do better um the best scholarship would say behold what a foreign kind of love what manner of love what manner i i like better what foreign kind of love what what love does not belong here we're not used to this this is foreign love we've never seen this kind of love before Uh, and therefore you could come around then to what kind of love is this what manner of love is this and well you might because it's the word agape in greek which many of i i know you know that um our trouble is it was essentially not used by the greek people in the days of the new testament it was it was there i mean it was a greek word but it was so nothing there was it was it was just meant this sort of charitable love but it was very vague and so i can't go i can't go to the dictionaries of that period and say now tell me what does agape mean because you won't get an answer to it you see the amazing thing is i i believe the holy spirit took this word agape brought it out of hiding and filled it with this knowledge of god and told us there i've given you a word a brand new word essentially to be filled with meaning and definition that you've never had access to before and so we've we've got a new word to describe a new revelation that came to us with jesus and in his resurrection and ascension so how do we find out what it means and essentially it's a detective work in a sense you follow the word through how is it used what 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 does this word talk about and what is the goal that's the most important thing where's this word going and, and what what emerges as the the goal the end the terminus to which this word is headed and so that's what we're going to do if you take the word apart which you can do with a greek word it, it would mean a shepherd leading a sheep to rest and i could take that sort of definition that arises from the word taken apart and put back together again i i could take that and give you the definition that unfolds through the new testament um and I, it's going to be hanging there in the background okay it's sort of part of the canvas that we put it all on um but i i say again we've got to look at this word agape in terms of how it was used and what was the goal in view when it was used and okay let's i won't go any further i've got to ask the question um if if agape is not like other loves then um what 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 is agape in terms of what it doesn't mean and this may be is the most important thing i'm saying because we have been raised most of us you and i we we've been raised in a world that uses the word love our english word love which is a hopeless word i mean dear lord i love parrots i i love ice cream i love my wife i love my country blah 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 love 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 
and all. And you say, do you really love your wife the same as you love peanut butter? No, it's a matter of your emphasis when you speak. It's very difficult. Um, our word love today means just about nothing. But when you boil it down, our word love out there is the same as a certain word in Greek that was big word in the days of the New Testament. And they, they called that love, and it was a certain kind of love, and that's really how love is looked at today in many respects. And the trouble is, you see, people take that, how we use the word love today, and apply it to God, so now he's just on the list. I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my parrot. You know, I love pet mice, I love peanut butter and ice cream and God. No, no, let's get this all very straight. We've got to get at this word agape and realize what it means. It is not natural human love. That word is found in much of the literature of the Greek culture of the days of the New Testament, and that word was eros, E-R-O-S, eros. That was natural human love. And I say it played a great part in, in the culture of the Greek world of the New Testament. Um, interesting, although it was such a big word in the Greek culture, and used by everybody in those days, it's not found in the New Testament. That's amazing. That was the word for love in the Greek culture. And when the Holy Spirit wrote the book on love, he wouldn't include that word. Rather, it's this other word, agape, which tells me the Holy Spirit has an aversion to this word. He doesn't want it in, in the book. And certainly it has nothing to do with agape. And you'll see why. Um, it, it, today, eros has become locked in with sexual love. Um, and, and from it we get the word erotic. And um, actually the, the word is looked upon as a sort of um, darker end of sexual love. But although that was part of how the Greek people of the New Testament looked at it, um, the word is much bigger than that in the New Testament. Let me give you a definition. The word eros, the word the Holy Spirit will not allow in the scripture is, and I give you the definition. This is from the Greek culture of the New Testament days. Um, it is, it means, eros means the desire. It has in it that word strong desire for the highest, the best, the most beautiful. I want that. And I want that beauty for myself. And I want it now, ASAP. That is essentially the definition of the word eros as it was understood in the days of the New Testament. So, so look at it from the desire for the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. That means it was an inclusive love. It was reserved. You couldn't just throw Eros out to everybody. Eros was a tight circle, actually. It was reserved for what you determined was exquisite. You know, take your breath away. It's the wow factor. I, I love that. And of course they applied this to art, for sculpture, for paintings. And that is why that Greek culture gave us some of the most magnificent art that the world has ever seen. The sculptors um, were, were men of eros. They, they demanded only the best, the most exquisite. And, and if it was less than that, they smashed their sculptures and threw them away. They, that, that's what I must have. And the paintings, they all come from that period that still hang in the great houses of this world. Um, the exquisite. You could say that it, it demanded the icon of beauty. 
And so the beauty of the human, again, that was reflected in their sculptures is a beauty. And so any flaw, any failure on the part of the human was just said, no, we can't have that. It's only the highest. It's the best. It's the most beautiful. It's the flawless. That's Eros. That's what I love, you see. That's what I, I want that. I want to fill my home with that kind of thing and that kind of persons. Which, of course, has a flip side, which I've already mentioned, but let me say it out, that Eros then was a love of excluding, kicking out, rejecting all things or all people that fell below its standard. If you were not perfect, if you were not beautiful, as <clears throat> was understood, if you, your skin was not flawless, if your sculptor was not the highest and the best and the most beautiful, we don't want it here. You see, it's got rejection is part of Eros. It has to. If you only want the highest and the best, you've got to reject the less than and the ugly and that which falls below your standard. Eros drew circles. And if you were the highest, the best, the most beautiful, you can come into my circle because that's what I am and that's what I look for. But anybody that is not, as we understand beauty, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you stay outside the circle. I'm, you, no entrance. You're not good enough. You are not worthy enough to come into our circle because you are not as beautiful and, and as best, exquisite as we are. Oh. Are you getting the picture? Um there were the self-appointed masters who believed that they could determine you in, you out. Um, we, we, we possess the, the standard of Eros and we guard it. And so we don't allow the ugly. We don't allow the flawed. We don't allow the less than and the not than. No, they, they're rejected. They don't belong. It was a love then of exclusion. You're not in, only us, because we are the highest and so on. And so it was a love that was almost a love of self because it preened itself on its high standards. I would never do that. I would never, you know, high standards. I've got a taste in beauty. I would only have that painting. I would never have that. It, it was like being members of an exclusive club. Only certain kind is let in. Or members of the political party. You will find Eros today in our politics. Because if you belong to party X, then I, I have seen... I'm a, I've been amazed, quite honestly, uh, of how rage can rise in a person despising uh, unbelievable words about members of the other political party. Um, and, and I thought they were friends, but when it comes to this, they can't speak in any words. It's, it's only us. We're the highest, we're the best, the most beautiful. And you're out. That's Eros in action. It's denominationalism. You know what I mean? It's not a denomination necessarily. Denominationalism is almost to be looked upon as a spirit that, that says we have it all and you are no good. We, we, we put you out. You can't join our church unless you, you know. So it, it's half a step to say that Eros was and is the oxygen of religion. Um, it portrays its false god as the ultimate eros. Now, I think you're in a position to understand that, that they saw God as the ultimate eros, and that is where the twisted idea of holiness comes from. You know if you're around whole, uh, eros, because holiness says 
that, that I am so great and you are so less. And therefore you must always tell me, says this invented God, um, that I am great and you are not, that you are worthless and you're ugly and so on. Um, that, that's why Eros religion always excludes the ugly. It excludes those that are not according to the standard. Um, and, and the Pharisee, of course, was Eros, and, and it expresses with a comparison of pride. You remember the, the Pharisee prayed, and interestingly, Jesus, I think with tongue-in-cheek, said he prayed with himself and said, Oh, God, I like that. He said, I, I thank you, O God, I am not as other men. Oh, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that, and so on. So the, the God of religion, Eros, rejects all who do not keep its rules. Um, and, and the religion gives its gospel, its message as we don't belong among the beloved of God. We're not worthy. I'm unworthy. That's the, the call of the eros religion unworthy unworthy we're excluded from god's presence um we're, we're, we're too wicked we're too sinful we're too wrong we're too deceitful to even touch the holy religion you know invented social distancing before it became popular um keep away you're you're not i i Eros believes if I touch you and you're unholy, I'm going to get unholy too. That's why they wouldn't touch people. Can you imagine when Jesus stepped into the world of Eros? And it says, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Agape, the world, all the world, no circles. He drew a circle around the entire world and, and said he loved the world. That's scandalous to Eros. It was worse than scandalous. It was He had to be removed, you see. That's Jesus was rejected. He ate with tax collectors, which were at the bottom of the garbage pile of humans in their estimation. He ate with them, which was to enter into a, some sort of a con. con covenant with them and and it says tax collectors and sinners and and when they brought to him one taken in adultery he said i do not condemn you and i know there are some people that, that felt a tinge of shock when i said that yeah there's a lot of eros in a lot of people we, we don't you see agape is utterly Utterly, I mean, not just a bit. Eros on one side, agape on the other, and Eros said, you are so disgusting that I must crucify you. God is agape. That's what it says further on in John, in chapter 4 of the same epistle. It says, God is love. Well, that word love is agape. Do you realize, and I'm not going into this, but in around the ninth century, um, the church of that day had some people in it that went through the New Testament and took out the word agape and put in eros because they said God is eros. He only wants the best. He only wants those who keep the law. He only wants those who love him first. Fortunately, that was scrapped and we returned to what? The truth is, God is not Eros. God is not Eros. He is agape. Then what is agape? What is, because you see, I say there's, there's a healthy bunch of Eros ideas in most things that we say we love. <clears throat> so what is agape? God is love. Agape. God is. God is. You've heard me say this. It doesn't have. It doesn't say that God has this as a sort of add-on. It's not a subset that, well, you know, God has love. So there are times where, when we can really wake him up. I hear this all the time. I've heard it a lot recently that um, 
you know, if we fasted and prayed, then God would sort of stretch and yawn and say, I guess I better do something. That um, love is an occasional trait and we have to awaken him to that. No, God is love, which speaks of the being of God, not something he has, but his very being. It speaks of, in other words, the essence of God. And if you look in any dictionary, essence means that which, if not present, the thing is not what it is. (laughs) You get that? Um, Essence, it's, it's essential, essence, essential to the being of that person or thing. It cannot exist without it. So when, when we say God is love, we are saying if he isn't love, then he isn't God. This is foundational. It is the very fountainhead of what we mean by the word God after we met God in the revelation that came in Jesus. So... That means he's not sometime love. Because if you have something, then you have more at certain times than others. And so it, then, then if he had love, it would be an up and down thing that he had sometimes less, sometimes more. It, it, it would mean that he is moody, you know, you know, moody people, impossible to live with. Because you never know the mood they're in. Um, and, 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 you know, a signal from the kitchen kids, mum's in a good, good mood. Uh, it, it, so everything we can relax, but you're in a bad mood, everything. Well, God isn't. God is beyond moods. Isn't that fantastic? God is who God is who God is. He never changes. Um, that in all that he is, and that's as all as I can make it. In the original Greek, in many places in the New Testament, it, it puts in a the, which is not in our Bibles, but it means the, all in all. It means you name it, that there's no all that's not included. Everything in, in all his purposes, all his will, you know the the people who go around saying, I want to see the will of God as if he's changed. He's, you know, I, I'm never sure about um, this. You know, what, what's his will? What's he up to? What's he want? Well, you see, it, it, it's um, the fact is that God's purposes, whatever they are, wherever you're looking for them, it, it's love. It can't be anything else. God is love. All that he does, every act of God is always to all persons. He's not selective. He's not Eros, you see. Eros is you, you, but not you. Eros draws a circle and says, you're okay, in, in, out. No, God draws a circle around all those stupid circles and welcomes everybody. His love is to all persons. He is agape. Well, that means... That being the case, that agape, by its very nature, is unconditional. See, if God loves us because that's who he is, then love must be unconditional. Do you follow me? If it was conditional, it would be God loves me because of who I am. And his love would be conditional upon what I did, what I thought, what I said, my behavior, I'm not good enough. It's conditional. That's eros. Are you good enough? Are you flawed? Out. (laughs) You see, God owns his love. That's a way of putting it. God owns his love. Because if he is love, that's his love. But if he owns it, it means nobody else can contribute to its being. You get it? I I can't contribute anything to God's love except thank you. Because God loves me without any aid from me. I, I do not make an investment in his love so it can finally perform. Do you get it? You can't earn agape. I can't do anything to change the being of God. I I would say to many dear 
people in churches today, there's nothing you can do to make God love you. I know that puts most of church out of business, but you can't. You say, well, I'm going to read my Bible and pray. Um, well, what, for what reason? I, I'm serious. I'm very serious. Do, do you think God will love you more? Do, do you think, well, God, you'll catch his eye? Because, wow, look how much he's reading his Bible and praying. No, I'm sorry. I really am sorry because I know this hurts. But understand he loves you. He loves you whether you read your Bible or not. He loves you whether you pray or not. He doesn't love you according to behavior. He just loves you. And when you realize his love, then many things will change, but not to get him to love you, but because you've realized he does. I read my Bible. I've memorized most of the Bible. Not to get in God's good books, but because I'm, I am in his love and I want to know more. It's different, you see, different. So I, I can't make God love me because he already does. And he, he loves me to the nth degree and therefore there's nothing I can do to improve on that. But also I've, to, to the outsider, if I could ever use such a term, because God doesn't have any outsiders. That was a daft thing for me to say, wasn't it? There's no outsiders. But those who, shall I say, are outside the church, the religious, who, who believe that if they sin enough, they can stop God loving them. Or, and I, I, I feel speaking to some the broken persons, um, some of you girls or ladies by now and you have found yourself in terrible places and used it in, in terrible ways and you feel that you, you could not possibly be loved and anytime you hear of God loving you automatically think it must be somebody else let, let me say this that God's love cannot be stopped you cannot do anything to stop God loving you you can't start him loving you, nor can you stop him. And you, and I'm speaking specifically to somebody that, that has a broken past and what has happened to you and been done to you and what you've been involved in, you feel God could never love you. Well, can we flush that down the toilet once and for all? You are the beloved of God and everything I am saying about his love is to you. Remember this it's to you. He loved you and he gave himself for you. Now that's, you see, it's not Eros, please. Do you see where people get this all mixed up? Religion has mixed it up. So, so let me say this in, in, in the same idea. God never falls in love. We use that term. We fell in love. Well, let me say God never falls in love. Because when we say we fall in love, it means we something happened we didn't expect. I mean, you never have in your date book, you know, 2, 2 p.m. fall in love. Um, it, it happens. Actually, you've been snared by the beauty of the person that you now say, I fell in love. Their beauty lassoed you. You know what I mean? We do that in Texas. Um, okay, their beauty kidnapped you. Would that be a good idea? Um, you, you, you were just going along through life, humming a tune without any thought about anything, and then it happened. You met him, you met her, and you report later you fell in love. Love at first sight. You were captured by their beauty, and in that moment, and I'm not putting it down um, God redeems Eros but in that moment I want that one for myself I mean the, well you see God never is drawn to love you because you are so spiritual and you are so righteous and you are so holy and, and you just quiver with the, the light of the world and God says wow I've fallen in love 
Do you see what I'm getting at here? God doesn't fall in love. He's not drawn to us by anything we might call beauty. He is drawn to us because that's the way he is. He embraces us because that's the essential being of God. So when you're talking about the love of God, please never bring your behavior into the conversation because that kind of messes the water. It gives a suggestion you're questionable as to whether lovable. No, God loves you as you are, where you are. That's it. But just a minute. Well, when I say he doesn't fall in love, there, then people say, well, it's a sort of cold thing that, that God wills to love me because that's the way he is. But it's kind of cold. Ha <laughs> ha. No, you see. Because when God wills to love you, his will, that is the intention, that, that is the going forth of the energy of God, um, no, it is not emotion. It's not emotion. I'll give you that right. It's not an emotional going forth. Otherwise, it would be subject to moods and cool and heat and changing. No, this is a love, not subject to that. Therefore, I can always come. Always. It's unchanging. It's constant. But it is by its nature by its being of God, a love of feeling and emotion. Read the scripture. He is the God of joy. I know religion doesn't believe that, but he. It, read the scripture, not religion. Read the scripture, and, and it tells us the joy of the Lord is your strength. He shall delight over you with singing. It actually says he sings over you for sheer joy in his love for you. It says that he looks upon you as a bridegroom looks at his bride. He speaks about a very intense and emotional love, but that is not a love that drives him. He's driven by his being, but his being is a felt love. It is a joy-filled love. It is a love of embrace. When he looks at you, it is not with a cold stare. It is, the Bible word is compassion, which is a word, uh, it means, calm is a Latin word meaning with, and passion is suffering. So, so with suffering, that is compassion is, he stands in your shoes, he gets inside your very feelings, and he loves you with feeling, one with you. It's described in Jesus as weeping. In fact, he looked at Jerusalem, the people who were about to crucify him, and it says he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, how often would I have drawn you to me, but you would not. And actually, in the original language there, it says with great convulsive sobs, he looked over Jerusalem. Oh, this God is is emotional but not as the flimsy earthbound emotion that's up and down, but with the will of his constant love, there is the feeling and the emotion of the constancy of his love and being. He cares for you, cherishes you. When we say agape, we are speaking actually of the glory of God. You've you've read that, haven't you, many times? The glory. What what is the glory of God? Now I know I did this in um, a webinar some weeks ago. Glory of God is it's um, the the meaning of the word glory. Uh, the very first meaning, first definition is opinion and thoughts. The glory of a person is their opinion and their their thoughts. And it's his opinion regarding you. I need God's opinion. That would be fun, wouldn't it, to sit here and and talk about what you think God's opinion of you is. Hmm. What would you think he's thinking about you? Yeah. David talked about the multitude of God's thoughts toward him, and he's excited about it. In Psalm 139, 
Isaiah 51, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He said, what you think about yourself and what you think about the way I work and deal with you is not the truth. You don't understand. My thoughts are filled to overflowing with love for you. That, that's, that's his thoughts. And, and in fact, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, the first thing on the list was God said, my loving kindness. That's his glory. God's glory is in what he thinks about you. God's glory is his extreme love that wills to bring us to actually participate in his glory. Which brings me to the fact that the word glory also means intention because it's not merely opinion. I mean, an opinion can be a pretty wimpy thing. Well, in my opinion... No, this opinion is, it, it, it's contained in the energy of God going forth to bring his opinion to pass, to, to make it happen in the history of mankind. So his opinion then is his initiative to achieve the end, the goal of his opinion at any and infinite cost. As part of the definition of agape, it's, it's the being of God that goes forth and it, it will deal with anything that would seek to separate him from those that are beloved and, and the goal he has for them. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. You. You. Um, you're, you're one of his beloved humankind and nothing nothing he says that, that's God speaking to you nothing can separate you nothing I don't care what you bring it up <clears throat> nothing is nothing um, and, and agape then is the zeal of God that's another word used in the prophets it's God God's not um, what, what can I say passive He's not sitting in his rocking chair with a kind of smile on his face saying, I love you. No. Always speaking of the zeal of God, the passion of God to bring to pass the, the goal, the, the terminus of, of, of love. Well, what's, what's love after? What is agape after? Um, it is that we might participate in his glory. That is... His opinion, he doesn't keep it to himself. His opinion is uh, th this love for you that has no boundary, this love that has no circles, this love who loves you just as you are and receives you as you are. He wills that you shall actually experience his glory, which is his love for you. A and then you will participate in that and be a revealer of it to others. Um, that, that's that's his opinion and his intention. Well, what is that goal of agape? It is well, okay. Put it this way: it, it, at that point, it's the goal of love. You can't really speak of love without the, the, the same goal, and that is union. You know, love only knows one goal, and that is union with the beloved. Any love that doesn't contain that, even when it comes to art, the artist uh, unites. See, many um, a person who's a, a stage artist will say, I left myself on the stage tonight. Yeah, you love at all its different levels and forms seeks union to the, to the nth degree. And when I come to the highest form of love, then I am speaking about the most incredible and causing speechlessness form of union. Let me put it this way, um, which is really another subject, and we get to it, I'm sure, as we follow this through in the next few webinars. But eternal life, I know I should wait till I've got an hour to talk about this, but I have hinted at it before. It's not stranger to you. Um, eternal life, actually, it's 
a very bad translation of the Greek. It should be the life of, of the ages. This eternal bit has um, caused us to think of, you know, going on and on and on and on and on. And so we can only think then of something beyond death. And people, when they talk about eternal life, say, I'm living forever. No, I mean, you've missed the point, sorry. Um, Or it's behind that, you know, basic evangelical statement, do you know where you'll spend eternity? They will use the word again. Um, And and so eternal life in the minds of, I'm sorry, millions of believers has become a destination and a destination beyond death. So you've got to die first to get it. Um, You're going to live forever. Actually, that sounds pretty boring, just living forever. Um, Destination. I, I suppose it sounds good because you're not going to the other possible destination but no eternal life is not a destination that's why eternal life is right now and being right now it shall be unto ages of ages but see it's not a destination right i'm sorry eternal life doesn't mean you're going to a place called heaven um that sounds like you're going to Ohio or something. Uh, um, no, eternal life is you've entered into a union relationship with this love, agape. And, and don't look at me like that. I'm quoting scripture. It's in John seventeen three when Jesus gave a definition. I think it's the only definition he gave. He said... John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Okay, that's how you start a definition. You could put a colon after that. This is eternal life, colon. That, this is it, that they may know you, Father, and Jesus, your Son. They may know you. And that word know there throughout the Bible is the word used to describe the marriage relationship, the most intimate, the most love-uniting. So it says, this is eternal life, that they may come to have a intimate, most personal relationship with the Father who loves them and Jesus, the Son who reveals that love, that you might enter into union and two become one that's eternal life it's the word of the most intimate love and and it's got primarily nothing to do with destination it's to do with a now knowing of this God and so the goal of agape where agape has always been be moving and agape is always active always moving it it is that you would stand face to face with god the father in and through god the son lord jesus christ face to face and you would be known and you would know you would be accepted maybe i could sum it up by saying it means you're included Father, Son, Holy Spirit have put their arms around you and said you're included. And we stand on level ground and he calls us his sons. And son is not there addressing masculine. It means that you are one with God the Son and you you are received by the Father as he receives the Son. Um means that he, he's pursuing you to have this experiential union of you <clears throat> knowing him being in him and him being in you jesus spoke about this in terms of sheep and that would take us back to that uh, taking the word apart definition the sheep call him lost sheep and he is really he's illustrating he's giving us the definition of agape there when he says this sheep was lost 
And of course, uh, probably all of us were raised in some way or another with, with the religious way of looking at last. You know how it is. I, I don't know about your where you come from, but I was raised, you could never say the word last without a certain look on your face and a tone in your voice. You know, is, is, is that person a Christian? No, they're lost. And you, by your very intonation, it meant, you know, it's curtains, man. <clears throat> they're lost. Well, where did we get that from? I mean, it's in a religious dictionary somewhere, I'm sure. But the word lost. First of all, you can't be lost unless first you were owned. You get it? I mean, I lost my pen. Well, you, you can't lose my pen. You can be the means of losing it, but it's my pen. And therefore, only I can feel the pain of losing it. Do you understand? We talk about a lost child. Well, only the parents can really experience what that means. You have to be owned in order for the word lost to be used. And so Jesus is not saying that the shepherd went out hunting wild sheep. My sheep, my sheep, he said, and my sheep which is lost. So it has to be owned. And Jesus is telling us that agape owns you. You were created out from agape. You were created by agape in order to be loved. You were created to be loved. You're owned. Yet you didn't happen. You didn't emerge from a monkey. I'm sorry. You, you have a first parent, and that first parent is God the Father, who created you through God the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and, and you were created to be loved. You were created for the embrace of the Holy Trinity. You're owned. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you believe or don't believe. You are owned by the Father through the Son. And, and if something's lost, it means you're of, of high value, great value. If the thing is of no value, you can't lose it. You'd never use that word. You don't, you don't, you don't, lose uh, like like I'm, I'm trying to toothpick you know you don't lose a toothpick it goes missing there's plenty more that came from lose a toothpick no you don't lose a toothpick and I've often used the word I, mean, I you don't lose one of those pens that you buy a hundred for ten dollars you know <clears throat> no they, 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 they're here today gone tomorrow you don't lose them just go but when something has value, then you say lost. And when something is owned and of high value, then that owner, depending on the greatness of the value, will go to find it. And so when a child is lost, we don't say, oh, it's lost. That's the end of that. No, don't be daft. When a child is lost, it means some precious child that is owned by parents has gone missing into danger and is absent from where it was born to be. And so the whole village turns out to look for the child because of the value of the lost. Do you realize... Well, this is saying, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you hear what it's saying? That you are owned by love that puts such a value on you. That value is equal to God the Son, assuming our humanity to come where we are to bring us to where he is. Hear it. For God so loved the world. What does that look like? What does that agapic statement look like? For God so loved the world. What does so loved look like? 
that. Okay, so now we're going to get a definition. For God so loved the world that. This is what that says, and this is what it looks like. That he gave his only begotten son. So the so loved you says that you have a value upon you that is worth God the Son taking our humanity to find us and bring us home, and home is in union with Jesus, in union with the Father through the Spirit. Did you hear me? He values you and in this equation. It's, it's God the Son who says, I'll give my life to bring you to the goal of agape, union with him, Jesus, and by extension with the Father. You say, where do you get that from? Well, I'll have to tell you that next week because the time has gone. But I'll tell you, if you read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's all over. I could take an hour just going through those scriptures, which might be a jolly good idea. Um, the, the, the entire Old Testament, New Testament has got this, that the goal of agape is to lay hold upon you who have been separated away from God in your own mind by the lie of Satan and in that darkness of separation invented a God who is false and a lie, a God of eros. And Jesus is God who comes inside that darkness and joins with us, one with where we are, in order to carry us through death and resurrection to be where he is. And not only where he is, but one with him. So that for you to live is Christ. For the scripture to say, as he is, so are you in this world. Well, as I said, I know the time has gone. It's, it's something that really sprung out to me as, as I, I was looking at this. God gave to us the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. God the Son. He gave the highest, best, and most beautiful. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Eros wants for itself the highest, best, and most beautiful. But God gives himself away. That is <clears throat> part of the definition of agape, that, that this love gives itself. Eros wants for itself. God gives himself to us and gives himself to us that we might be united with him at our deepest level in and through Jesus. Huh. And that giving gave a new definition to the human race. In the resurrection of Jesus, the whole human race turned a corner. We can never go back. It's a cosmic happening. The, the wheels of the ages ground together as we turned. The purpose of God was fulfilled in Jesus, in bringing you to himself, to union. And the Holy Spirit came. And that's where we find ourselves today. I'm back to where I started, you see. The Holy Spirit came in order to open our eyes and reveal to wake us up that this is this is where life is at. This is what life was always intended to be. It's the Holy Spirit who is that abounding energy field of love. It's the Holy Spirit who is the ocean of limitless love. And when he opens our eyes, when we hear that call deep within us of love calling us, we wake up, and it is that. And you've heard me say, you didn't know you were asleep until you woke up. You, you, you think everything's just fine. And, of course, not 
often there's nightmares going on in that dreams but we wake up and you wake up and to begin with you you feel you're in a and you what what happened you see we even say that i must have been asleep i so much is changed and missed and oh you know when you wake up you wake up and you realize the love of god you realize the holy spirit who is god bringing that love into you pressing on you from all sides and you suddenly find yourself he says there in that verse behold what foreign kind of love has been bestowed gifted to us and then he says therefore the world does not know us because it didn't know him you suddenly find especially the religious side of this world they they don't like you it's i i I've, I've asked some fellows you know <clears throat> who i've got no reason but to be their friends but they, they and they say you talk about love too much <clears throat> you give too much emphasis there well i don't know how you could do that the wonder is that agape doesn't accept our blindness he comes into our darkness. He makes his home in our self-made hell. And he opens our eyes. He calls us. He draws us. And we begin to wake up. And discover what the gospel really is. I, I want to carry on this conversation about the love of God. I don't know how long it will be. But for the next couple, three webinars at least. But I want you to know, he loved you, and he gave himself for you. Not just a fact that now you close the book and go and eat dinner. No, this, this is, this enriches my soul. This feeds my innermost being. This transforms me and introduces me to who I truly am, my identity. So now the blessing of God who is agape, almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May that God, that love himself, open your eyes and cause you to see as you've never seen before. That he loves you and gave himself for you. So I now bless you. And declare over you, that is the way it is. Amen.